Do you realize that every human being is born with two holes in their heart? The first hole in their heart is needing relationship with God. The Bible says that we are born disconnected from God. And you think, well, that's kind of mean. Babies are nice. Like, why would you disconnect from God? No, no, no. When our forefather and our foremother, what I'm talking about Adam and Eve, who was our best shot at getting anything good done, when they decided they wanted control of their own lives, when they decided that God's opinion was simply that, an opinion, they broke us, and we've been broken ever since. What that means is we are born disconnected from our creator. It means that the life of God and the life of heaven is not coursing through us until Jesus Christ reconnects it. We are born craving a relationship with God, and it's supposed to agitate us to make sure we get reconnected. That's the first hole. The second hole in our heart is that we crave relationships with one another. We crave relationships with one another. We were built for community, but sin makes community difficult, does it not? Man, I don't know how many of you have been betrayed, how many of you have been stabbed in the back, how many of you have dealt with drama, how many of you are saying, you know what? I love people and I hate people. And man, there are so many people that have hurt me in the past. It's better that I'm alone. I disagree with you. I understand the temptation, but it's not right. How do we know that? Because before sin entered the world, God whispered the words, it is not good for man to be alone. We desperately need one another to function properly and to function optimally. And you go, well, I, you know what? Honestly, pastor, after I got hurt, I've been alone. I'm doing just fine. I don't think you are. It's a lot like dehydration, right? That when you first stop drinking water, you're going off reserves, you're actually fine for a little while. Then you start getting a little bit of dry mouth. Then you start having a few other issues. Then you don't understand, you get some aches and pains because you're depleting your resources. You can go for a while, but then all of a sudden you're not moving as smoothly. You don't have as much energy and then your system starts to shut down. By the time you realize that you're extremely dehydrated, you need help just to get back normal. I'm telling you, if you're isolated, it's hurting you. We were built for Jesus and friends. We were built for Jesus and friends. You're gonna hear me say that over and over and over again. Sin broke us. We all crave freedom and independence. We don't want someone telling us what to do, but at what cost? At what cost are we disconnected from God? It seems so nice to be able to say, I don't want God to tell me what to do, but I'm just telling you, if he's the source of life, what are you gonna do without him? I don't understand it. Here's the bottom line. It's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It is, if you are watching online, make sure that you fire up the app. You can fill in some notes. You can also do the fill in the blank. It's this, we are not good alone. We are not good alone. And once again, there are some of you that are bottom line people and you're like, where are you going with this pastor? I'm going to tell you real fast because some of you need to know the bottom line so you can nap. 
There are some of you that need some rest, right? You came in here, it's all warm and nice. Okay, well, here's how I'm going to end, right? You need Jesus and friends. All right, night-night. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead through a very popular story in the Bible, but I'm going to do it in a rather unique way. In the Bible, there are four accounts of Jesus' life. One told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three guys, they write very similar. And so this story is told in all three of their accounts. And I thought, well, if we miss some of the details, we don't get the full story. So I grabbed all three of their stories and mushed them together into one account. This is what it would sound like if all three were talking together. In order to do that, that makes it hard to follow along in your Bible. So we're going to put them up on the screens. All right? You can follow along with me as I'm reading through the story. Here we go. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal, and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. All right, let's pause for a moment. Why is Jesus so famous? I mean, we're talking about, they slammed this house. You couldn't look through the window. You couldn't get in through the door. Everybody was crowding this. Why was Jesus so famous? You go, well, he was a brilliant preacher. And as a matter of fact, some people thought him to be a prophet. Yeah, but they didn't draw crowds like this. Why was Jesus so famous? Well, you see, he was a miracle worker. And that made all the difference in the world. He healed people. As a matter of fact, you know what happened last time he was in town? See, Capernaum was his home base. It was in northern Israel, which is kind of like northern California. Did you know Jesus grew up where it looked like foothills and lakes, right? Just like California, south Israel was more deserty. They didn't quite have the water, right? It's very, very similar. So Jesus kind of grew up in a northern California area. But here's what's interesting. Last time he was home, this happened. Luke 440. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Would you show up to that guy's ministry? Of course you would. He healed every, not a few. He healed every one of them. No matter what you brought in, he healed them. That's extraordinary. And you know that he takes off and goes on a ministry trip. You are waiting for this guy to get back. You're like, man, I got a friend, and I know that so-and-so was healed, and everybody starts talking. So the minute that guy hits the shore, everybody's trying to track on where he's at. He shows up at a house, and everyone swarms the house. Let me ask you a question. Why do people get drawn to Jesus? I mean, if you're a Christian, why did you get drawn to Jesus? Right? See, some of us, we do it 
out of panic. Some of us, we, we do it because we're looking for a relationship with God. Some of us, we do it because we need something. There's a lot of reasons why we go after Jesus. If you are not a Christian, don't call yourself a Christian, you're visiting, let me ask you a question. What is the deepest ache of your heart? And I just have one question. Is it possible that God can do something about it? That's between you and him, right? I'm not here to shove anything down your throat. I'm just simply here to ask. Is it possible that God can do something about that? I suggest that he can. Let's carry on in the story. And behold, four men were bringing or carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, finding no way to bring him in, they went up on the roof and removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down with his bed on which he lay through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. All right, let's pause. You read a story like that and you're always interested in what's going to happen later. Did you just notice how awkward and weird that was? All right, let's go back and visit real life. Real life. All right, here's how it goes. They're late. Why are they late? I have no idea. I would imagine they're all arguing about that on the way. Yes? Because they're carrying their buddy. Now, it would be a stick on one side, a stick on the other side, and kind of a little hammock in between, almost like a military stretcher. So they're carrying him, and they're like, Rick, if you would have left earlier, and blah, 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 right? You know, and all you had, we kept watching Netflix, and they're like arguing, right? All the way there. And so they finally get there, they're late, there's no way in. So they start going, see, now how are you going to sneak in with dude laying down? You're not sneaking in anywhere. You can't slip by. You can't kind of find that one corner. There's five of you. One of you is laying down. So they go, you know what? I got an idea. And he's like, what's that? Let's go up on the roof. Well, what's that going to do? Well, let's tear through the roof. Dude, you can't just tear through a guy's roof. Like, that's not a thing. He's like, well, do you want to go home? No. All right. Then we're going with my idea. So they go up the external staircase, they go up on top of the roof, they figure out where Jesus is down below. And they start demoli demolition, right? They just start tearing stuff apart. Now, I'm not a big science guy, but I do know the law of gravity. Which direction does debris fall when you're tearing things apart? Now, remember, they can't lower Jesus from an, I mean, they can't lower this guy to Jesus from an angle. They have to lower him straight down. They can't go vertically. They have to go horizontally. That's an enormous hole. Yeah? A guy-shaped hole. So how long does it take to cut a guy-shaped hole in a roof? Forever. Right? So this whole process took a long time. Everything they tear, they're trying to lift it out, but the debris is falling down. Jesus is right below them. That means the whole time he's talking. Let me tell you a parable of... And he just has to wait for it. Stuff's like falling in his beard and in his hair, and he's just like, oh, you guys... Would you please hurry, right? And sure enough, they're like, ah, ah, they're grunting and they're pulling everything apart. It's so distracting, right? And you gotta imagine, what's the homeowner thinking, right? He can't get outside to stop them, right? And his wife's like, this is why I don't like your friends. Every, every time, they always break something in the house. What are you, what are you, what are you doing, 
Like, you better fix that when they leave, right? And he's like, all right, okay. So, sure enough, after this long time of dropping all this debris, they now have to lower him down, right? And he's like, dude, if you guys drop me, I'm gonna be so mad, right? And they're like, okay, let's all lower him down. They got the, the, the ropes on the, their back and they're lowering down. And they're like, dude, okay, are we going on three? Three, no, two? Okay, wait, is it one, two, three, and then we go, or we go on three? Because if one of you lets go of a corner, we're dropping this guy. And the guy's like, please don't do that. <laughs> Right, and they're like, all right, here we go, one, two, three. And they start lowering him down. So it's gonna go real slow. It's gonna go as it's going down, right? And so Jesus is like, everyone just hang on a second. Hang on, let's just wait. (laughs) Finally, he gets eye level with Jesus and he's laying down, he's like, hi. (laughs) Jesus goes, hi. And he's like, yeah, I'm here to be healed. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I think everybody saw that, as a matter of fact. Right? Hmm. What was so hard about getting this guy to Jesus? I'm going to suggest there was three obstacles. And I want you, if you're a note taker, I want you to write these down because it's about to become really personal. I think there was three things between this man and his savior. The first one is this, write this down, his own brokenness, his own brokenness. The Bible is not clear whether or not he was quadriplegic, which means all four limbs, or paraplegic, which is two limbs, waist down. All we know is he can't walk, but here's what's interesting about it. He was physically broken, and what that means is he could not on his own, get to Jesus. It wasn't a lack of desire. It wasn't a lack of effort. He simply can't do it. And that's what the Bible says is the problem with mankind. We cannot get to God on our own. The Bible says that when we are so disconnected at birth, the Bible describes the gap so wide that he refers to it as impossible. And what it means is that there's not any amount of good stuff you can do to bridge the gap. You can't get to heaven by good works. You can't get to heaven by effort. No matter even desire, if you wanna just go, you are either rescued or nothing. Why did Jesus come to do something for us that we couldn't do? As a matter of fact, God saw us break ourselves, but he could never allow his children to hurt and die. So he dove headfirst into the world to make sure we would get reconnected. Why would he do that? Well, I got a story for you. So we're going back a ways. I was three years old. I was at my aunt's house in Glendora, California. That's down in Southern California, kind of a suburb sprawl community. And my aunt had a pool. At this time, my parents were together and all my cousins were older than me and they would, they would play swimming games like Marco Polo. You guys remember Marco Polo? Three-year-olds are terrible at Marco Polo. <laughs> They're kind of a waste, right? And so I didn't really get to play with them. Well, when I, they were all gone, I kind of had my clothes back on, and 
And I wanted to be around the pool. I didn't really have anyone to play with at this time. And so all the adults were at the foot of the pool. So if you had the diving board on one side, it was a long pool. At the foot was a gazebo. And all the parents were just having drinks, sitting around, and just hanging out. And it was very relaxed, calm, peaceful environment. Well, as a little guy, uh, I wanted to just kind of do my own thing. And so I was playing around by the diving board. Now, I was told that if you are around the pool, I had to have my floaty ring on, okay? Now, when I was growing up, there was no such thing of this inflation stuff, right? I had styrofoam ring. Anybody remember styrofoam ring? All right, styrofoam ring. Uh, and something that you need to know about me and styrofoam ring. Okay, so the gentleman that you see before you on this stage is just, we'll say, slightly in excess of 210 pounds. I'm 6'3", I'm a big dude. When my wife met me, I was 163 pounds, same size. That's a significant weight difference. Now, before you just get sad for her, <laughs> I, want, I want, you already are, I want you, I want you to just be thinking for a moment, how skinny is a six foot three guy at 163 pounds? Pretty skinny. As a matter of fact, that was me all growing up. I was the little skinny kid. Um, as a matter of fact, my best friend's dad called me Bones. <laughs> right? And I was, you could see my rib cage, I was like a little skeleton that would run around. Now, if I'm in said ring and I'm little skinny stick man, then what happens when I decide to jump off the diving board? Boom! Right through the middle. But the problem with stick men, they don't make a splash. So, bloop! Parents still talking. All I know, because I have no memory of any of this, I had to hear it from my mom, uh, who's actually right here, uh, and my dad afterwards, and that was, dad said, where's Lance? Now, how long I had been in there, we have no idea, but it was probably pretty quick. And they noticed that I was at the bottom of the pool. My dad dives in after me, pulls me back up, they get the water out, they resuscitate me and that stuff, and... The next thing I know is I see, I remember this picture very clearly. I remember watching my dad lay out his money from his wallet on the couch to dry because he had jumped in with his wallet, right? Here's my point. If you're a parent, let me ask you a question. What are you willing to do for your kids? I would suggest the answer is anything. When God saw us break ourselves and choose to rebel against him, he could not allow us to die or be separated from him for too long. And he dove headfirst, left everything great in heaven, and Jesus Christ came down into a world that hated him, that murdered him, because he didn't want his children to hurt. I just need you to know This is the God that you serve. This is how much he loves you because he'll do anything to get you back. Yeah? Let's keep moving forward. There are three things that separated this man. The first was his brokenness. The second one was the distraction of people. Yeah? It says he got there and everybody's in the way. Everybody had their own reason for being there. Everybody had their own agenda. Everybody had something that they wanted from Jesus, but they were all in the way. 
He could not get to his Jesus because people were blocking him out. And we can say, well, they met good and he should have got there earlier. I'm not arguing their hearts. What I'm arguing is it still made it hard to him to get to Jesus. And here's what I mean about life. There are a bunch of people that really want to get next to Jesus and it is a bunch of church people keeping him away. What I'm trying to tell you is there's all these people with their agendas and their ideas swarming Jesus and those people that are lost, those people that are hurting, those people that are broken, the people that desperately want to learn about him can't seem to get close enough because of the church people. Here's what I'm going to tell you if you are not a Christian today. Please don't let a human being ruin your pursuit of God. I understand everybody's, they may be well-meaning and they got all this stuff. I don't really care what they think right now. What I care is you get connected to your Lord. That's what I care about. Don't let other people get in the way. And there's one last block that he had to get to Jesus. Number three, religion. Religion. You're going to find out in this story that these religious leaders that are around Jesus are actually going to interrupt the ministry that Jesus is doing to this guy. In one moment, they're going to jump in in the middle and disrupt his plan to heal this man. Why? Because Jesus wasn't doing it right. You guys, does this not sound like the church? Somebody comes into the church, doesn't look like everybody else, doesn't act like anybody else, and everyone immediately starts to go, well, this is a problem with them. Who cares about where they came from? I care about where they're going. Amen? We need to learn that there is no way to transform without mess. Look at you. Right? Like, are you kidding me? We didn't have grace for ourselves? So anyone that comes into the church, and this is for me telling the body of Bridgeway, if anyone comes into the church and there's an obvious difference there, I need you to remember the only reason they're there is because Jesus called them personally. And I need you to back up and not let your religion, well, this isn't doing it right, this isn't, I don't care. Let God work on them himself. Our job is to back them up. Our job is to love them. Our job is to hug. Our job is to smile. If you got an issue, let the leadership handle it, but it is not our job to be too worried about that. Yeah, amen? Praise God. You see, the difference between religion, and religion really bothers me, the difference between religion and faith is this. Religion says, I'm going to give you a system whereby you do good things and earn your way to be acceptable to God. I'm going to suggest to you, that is hogwash. That's not a thing, right? Faith says, you don't have a chance it's either rescue or nothing. Either God does all the rescuing or you're not going to heaven. Either God's going to save us or we're not going to be with him forever. We are never going to do enough good stuff to get up there. Why? Because our good stuff doesn't count. We go, well, I'm really moral. I'm more moral than most Christians I know. I totally agree with you. It just doesn't count. Why? Because God said only perfect stuff counts. And the only one that can give us perfect stuff on our account is Jesus. It's Jesus or nothing. So let's talk for a moment about friends. 
He needed Jesus, but he needed friends. Why are friends so important? Because we need friends to spiritually thrive. And you're like, dude, you haven't met my friends. They're not a lot of help. (laughs) All right, let's talk about that for a moment. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that every human being has three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. Here's what it means. The world is secular distraction. Flesh is you are your own worst enemy. And there's an active third party that is actively trying to move you away from God. That's called the devil, all right? But here's what Jesus said. I will build my church, and it's a plural, connective, right? Collective group. I will build my church, and upon that, the gates of hell will not prevail. What it just said was, when we're together, we will have victory. What he did not say was, lone wolf Christians will have victory. What he said was, I will build a system group whereby we support one another, we encourage one another, we defend one another, we pray for one another, right? That's when we have victory. You have to have Christian friends in order to thrive. Do you believe that? I'm telling you, all right, let's keep talking about it. I just want to mention for a moment is that church is a place to meet our two core needs. There's an intensification of the presence of God here, and there is the possibility that you can meet other people that love Jesus, right? This is very, very important. I want to talk for a moment about the drama of digging through a roof. It's so awkward. You're going to have to answer for it. You have no idea whether or not Jesus is really going to heal him. How weird would that have been if you lower the dude down and Jesus is like, I'm off today. Like, I'm sorry about that. That They had no guarantee. Now, it happened to work out. You're going to find out. But here's what's interesting. Why would they risk social suicide? You just dug through a guy's house. And everybody knows you did not wait your turn. You didn't get there early, so everyone's mad at you. Why would they risk social suicide to get their buddy before Jesus? There's one word, desperation. They've already walked with their friend to every doctor's appointment, and nothing helped. Desperation will make you do desperate things, okay? Do you realize there's only two people that become Christians? Two kinds of people that become Christians. Maybe you didn't know this. Ready? Number one, those that are loved into the kingdom by friends and family. Number two, those desperate enough to go find him themselves. Those are the only two kinds of people that get saved. Desperation. Now, desperate people do desperate things. I was looking online and I stumbled across an article that was a bunch of people using the app called Reddit. And they asked the question, what have you ever done in desperation when you were poor? What's the oddest thing that you did to just make it through life? Now, I'm about to share with you four of their responses. Here's something I need you to pay attention to when I read these. Number one, they're a little bit shocking. And number two, you might have done them, okay? Because when you're desperate, you'll do all kinds of stuff. Listen to this. 
I managed to get room key cards from several of the hotels in Las Vegas that people had thrown away. Then I'd stay up all night, and I'd sleep in one of the chairs at the pool during the day. You had to show a key card to get into the pool area, but once you were in, they didn't pay much attention of what you did. The pool at the Paris had a handicapped bathroom that you could lock, so I would shower in there. I managed to survive through the summer on about $20 without stealing or begging. Interesting. Number two, I sold my blood plasma twice weekly to pay for food. Got my student ID renewed a month after I was kicked out of school because it doubled as a free bus pass. I still can't believe it worked. Popcorn was an integral part of my diet at the time because it was dirt cheap. Number three, lived out of my car and bought a $10 per month gym membership at Planet Fitness just so I could shower every day. Number four, when I was a waitress, if someone didn't want their leftovers to take home, I'd hide them in the freezer and back and eat the remaining food left by strangers. Desperation. Because I can tell you this, if you had the means, I don't know anyone that's willing to risk it. I don't know anyone that's willing to be embarrassed by being known for doing those things. But when you have no other choice, you'll do it. Desperation is a great pride breaker. Desperation is a great pride breaker. Many people that I know, the only reason they're Christians is desperation because they finally came to the end of themselves and realized God was the only solution. I'll give you an example on how much Jesus knew about this process. He comes up to a guy named Levi and he says, hey, I want you to be one of my disciples. And Levi looks at his crowd. He's like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. He's like, you see, I work for the Roman government. I'm what you'd call a traitor. And Jews don't like me. And from the looks of it, all your dudes are Jews. Now, I'm a Jew, but I'm not the Jew they like. As a matter of fact, one of your guys, I'm pretty sure, is a zealot. And zealots kill people like me. So I don't think that's going to work. Jesus said, you let me worry about them. I want you to follow me. He's like, I'll tell you what, Jesus, how about you have dinner? Let's talk about it over dinner tonight. We'll have dinner at my place. Jesus said, cool, let's do that. So we invited all of his friends. Now, I probably assume that's for safety, right? <laughs> kind of get your whole house full of your own friends. But his friends were like him. They were outcasts. They were what was called tax collectors and sinners. Well, sure enough, religious people gathered around and they said to Jesus, I can't believe you're eating with these people. Can't believe you're hanging out with them. And Jesus said, hold on, i got a question for you. Who goes to the doctor, the sick people or the healthy people? And they're like, that's dumb, sick people. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I came to call the sinners, not the righteous. What was his point? If you're not desperate, I guess you don't need a savior. If you're not desperate, I guess I'm, you don't need me. So I guess you're not going to heaven with me. Wow. Desperation breaks that pride. And finally, we're willing to say, whatever it takes, I want to do that. Let's pick up the story. And when he saw their faith, notice the word there, the friends. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And behold, now some of the scribes and Pharisees who were sitting there began to question in their hearts, saying to themselves, why does this man speak like that? 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts in his spirit, he answered them, why do you question and think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Let's pause. When he saw their faith, his friends got him there, right? They weren't just any sort of friends. You guys, a bunch of us have friends that even call themselves Christians, but they're not life-giving. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian, just because someone goes to church, doesn't mean they're healthy. As a matter of fact, there's a bunch of Christians that are more emotionally dysfunctional than you are. There's a bunch of immature Christians. This idea that we go, I want Christian friends. No, you need more than that. You need life-giving Christian friends. Because what happens is, when we're really down and out, we need someone that will lead us to Jesus, not distract us away. And there are too many of us that are Christians that are living just like everybody else, and we're not lifting up anybody. What we need is people that will get us closer to Jesus. I need you to start sifting and sorting and figure out how you get some more of those. Great Christian friends are not always accidentally found. Many times you have to work for it. It means you actually have to show up to places, build relationships. You almost always never like them at first sight. (laughs) So, Jesus then said this, your sins are forgiven. Now, as cool as that sounds to us, that's awfully disappointing to paralyzed guy, right? Yeah, I didn't come here for that. Like, if I could move my arm, I'd be like, what the heck? Right? Like, I'm paralyzed, and what that means is I can't move. So I appreciate the whole spiritual connection thing, dude, but I'm here to walk. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he shoot for something about a spiritual thing, which is not what they came for? Because he knows what's called a hierarchy of needs. And here's the point. A man that can walk who has a dead spirit doesn't matter. His physical nature is the least of his problems. Because if he is restored in his spirit, connected to his heavenly father, then his crippled status is not the most important thing about him. As a matter of fact, whether he goes home walking or not does not ultimately matter. And you go, that's not fair for you to say. You can move. Okay, hold on. There's a difference between important and vital. We all want important things from Jesus. We all have important things in our minds. Lord, I need a relationship. Lord, I need a home. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need to be healed. We all have legitimate important things. But vital means you can't live without it. Jesus knows what's vital. And he knew that he needed to be restored on the inside more than he needed to be restored on the outside. And so he addressed that first. And so the guys freaked out, the religious people. Oh my goodness, you can't say that. You can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins. Well, that's true because you have to get forgiveness from the one you hurt. When we sin, it violates God. Only God can say you're forgiven. Does that mean Jesus is God? Oh, yeah, it does. Well, they weren't cool with that. They said, that is blasphemy. 
He said, all right, let's play a game here. What's easier, healing a person physically or healing them spiritually? One is a matter of moving atoms and molecules. The other one's a matter of moving reality. Which do you think is harder? Well, here we go with the story. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and immediately picked up his bed that he had been lying on and went out before them all and went home glorifying God. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men and were filled with with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. We never saw anything like this. The man came for one reason and received a combo meal. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus dreams bigger than he did. You guys, I know you're probably praying about a whole bunch of stuff in your life. But Jesus knows the most important. I would suggest to you that most of what we pray about is symptoms. He's looking to heal root core. You go, well, quite frankly, I've been alone a really long time. I keep praying, Lord, would you bring me somebody? Would you bring me somebody? And he said, you know what? If I brought you somebody now, it might go bad. And I'm not quite sure I've fixed your little picker yet. So what I need you to do is I need you to be close to me. I need to build the right thing because your loneliness in that way is a symptom of something else. Why did Jesus tell the guy to pick up his mat and go home? That always seems funny to me, right? Because from an outsider's perspective, it sounds like he's like, whoa, 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 don't leave your garbage here, bro. Like, you can move now. It's time to, come on, let's do this. Grab your stuff, get out of here. I'm not picking that up, right? But I don't think that's what he said. Now, we don't know why. It's speculation, but it's either sheer necessity, which is, uh, hey, buddy, real quick, I know you're super freaked out. Oh, my gosh, I can, I can move. Okay, you still need your bed, right? Like, you don't have, you're not going to go buy another bed. Just go ahead and take your bed and get it. It could have been practical, or it could have been spiritual. And here's what I mean. Is it possible that for him to lift up that bed on which he was imprisoned for the majority of his life was an act of freedom. Could it be that as he walked home carrying the very dungeon he lived in gave him an ability to emotionally get over it? You think there's not trauma from being paralyzed that long? There certainly is. Is it possible that Jesus was doing multi-level healing the entire time? Of course he was. So let's finish it out. We need Jesus and friends. None of that story works without Jesus or friends. That guy is still paralyzed, and he's still empty in his spirit. But with the combo of Jesus and friends, he was restored. I don't know what's going on in your spirit. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know this. The solution's going to be found in Jesus and friends. 
Can I have the prayer team come on up here? And if we have any leaders in the room, we have a lot of visitors. I would love for the leadership to be up here. If you need prayer, you can go up to someone with a lanyard. If they probably don't have a lanyard, they're probably one of the leaders in the church. If you just brought somebody and you want to meet some of the pastors and everything, uh, we're going to try to hang out up here at the front at the altar. I'm going to go ahead and turn off my mics in the back, and I'll be right back out to greet you and hang out and talk to you. But I just want to pray a blessing over everyone that came here. I did, whatever reason you came here, I hope you were blessed. I hope you were encouraged. But I'm going to just pray that God would do something extraordinary for you today, and we'll get out of here. Yeah? All right, let's do it. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would finish what you have begun here today. Today, you let your love melt our heart. And now we're not quite sure what step two is. So God, would you lead us in step two and three and four? That God, that as beautiful as your church is, it's still not as good as you. I just pray that today, every single person that can hear my voice, that Lord, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are willing to dive in and rescue them at any cost. And may that truth, the truth of the cross, bring us to salvation. Rescue us, heal us, and transform us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.